Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining today's call. I'm Nat Wood from Business Forward, and I'll be moderating our conversation with Congressman Kurt Schrader today. Uh, currently, all of your lines are in listen-only mode. We're very pleased to welcome Congressman Kurt Schrader, representing Oregon's 5th Congressional District. Representative Schrader has been a health care champion throughout his time in Congress, specifically during the last Congress. He's devoted a lot of time to talking to health care experts, providers, and his constituents to work on real solutions. Uh, in 2017, he introduced a five-point proposal to stabilize and improve the individual market. That was the first plan out of either chamber of Congress with that specific goal. Uh, Representative Schrader is also a small business person. He is a farmer and veterinarian. Uh, he established and managed the Clackamas County Veterinary Clinic in Oregon City and uh, operated a farm where he grew and sold organic fruits and, ve and vegetables. Um, currently, Congressman Schrader is a member of the House Energy and Commerce Committee, which oversees a wide portfolio of issues, including health care. And he's also a member of the New Democrat Coalition, where he serves as the co-chair of the Affordable and Accessible Healthcare Task Force. For those of you that are new to our programming, Business Forward organizes local roundtables, Washington fly-ins, conference calls, webinars, and media trainings for more than 100,000 business leaders such as yourselves. At these briefings, entrepreneurs, investors, small business owners, and executives get the chance to talk to policymakers about issues affecting their companies and how Washington can better work with businesses to accelerate our economy. Uh, more than 650 mayors, governors, members of Congress, and senior administration officials have participated in our programming, uh, which we can present thanks to the support of more than 60 of America's largest and most respected companies. Uh, I hope after this call, you all let your colleagues and partners know about us. They can sign up to join the Business Forward Network for free at businessfwd.org. Before we get started, I'm going to cover just a few housekeeping items. As I mentioned, there will be a time for questions and comments. You can participate in two ways. You can press 1 at any time to be entered into the queue to ask your question live. Or you can email it to info at businessfwd.org. So you can either press 1 or email your question to info at businessfwd.org. Um, if you ask a question live, please introduce yourself uh, with your business and where you're calling from. If you send an email, please include that information. This call is on the record, and there may be reporters present. With that, let's get started. Congressman Schrader, welcome, and thank you very much for being here. Please go ahead. Well, thank you, Matt. I appreciate it, and I appreciate uh, the community's interest in, uh, I think, one of the most important issues for the business community uh, at this point in time. Uh, I've, as Matt alluded to, I had a veterinary business for over 30 years, and I remember way back in the day when you could offer health care as kind of a throwaway option trying to recruit employees because it didn't cost very much. Uh, fast forward today, and it's a uh, a very different story, very different story. And frankly, healthcare has grown a lot. We're talking about complete healthcare, not just triaging a, a problem after it's happened. And it's a whole different dialogue. And I think that, that part of the discussion gets gets lost in the debate. So again, Kurt Schrader, I uh, got a veterinary practice in Oregon and came to the uh, uh, United States Congress via the state legislature and 
looking forward and have been uh, pretty active in the healthcare debate, uh, translating some of my uh, skills uh, in my old job into the human healthcare marketplace. I think as many of you probably remember in 2006, 2008, there was a big call, uh, bipartisan, nonpartisan call to improve healthcare delivery. As I alluded to, the healthcare costs were starting to go up, uh, uh, great new medications uh, that uh, unfortunately cost a lot of money but could cure uh, previous diseases we had no cure for. Uh, population uh, growing, uh, a lot of people in, uh, in, in heading into the retirement mode, putting pressure on Medicare, uh, a lot of low-income people having strug struggling to keep up with the growing economy, not necessarily in the same economic advantage point as some of the other members of the community and falling into a, a low-income status where health care was unaffordable and unattainable. And it was general in the business community. I know my small business, I started to see the health care premiums go up and up, deductibles going up, and we had to, frankly, share uh, some of the costs now with the employees where we, in my tiny little veterinary practice, uh, originally were able to cover the full cost. So it was a general clamor to actually do something about health care uh, and the rising costs uh, pretty much across the board, pretty much across the board. So the original intent in 2008 when, when I came to Congress, uh, I, President Obama had been just elected at the same time, was to see if we could come up with a, uh, a long-term solution to the healthcare marketplace. Uh, a lot of folks got their healthcare uh, through their employers, over 60% of the folks, and was there a way to make that still a very viable market? Uh, how do you deal with folks that uh, aren't uh, getting health care through their employer? Much smaller number, actually, about 7 to 10% of the folks in this country that aren't on Medicare or Medicaid. Uh, you know, the senior health care uh, uh, initiative and the low-income initiative <coughs> require health care uh, off the marketplace, off the employer marketplace. And, but it's a significant number. You know, if you're one of those 7 to 10%, that's a big deal. And as we all know, the healthcare marketplace is interrelated, and what happens in one part of the marketplace can start to cause problems in the other. So the the call was, could we develop some sort of affordable, universal access to healthcare, and not break the bank of the federal government at the same time? What was the appropriate uh, mix, if you will? And it was decided that it, to make it work, and we worked very closely with the insurance companies on this as well as many employers and patient advocates, uh, what was the best way to go about it? And really, in our opinion, required, I'm losing my voice, guys, sorry, uh, required a three-legged stool approach, if you will. One, if we're going to guarantee that everyone was covered, no matter what their medical status, uh, and give them what we call guaranteed issue, pre-existing conditions would be covered, it required that, frankly, everybody be in the marketplace. You couldn't just decide to come in at the last minute when you got sick or had an injury and uh, expect the marketplace to cover your costs. Now, much like with auto insurance, you can't have the accident and then decide to apply for insurance. You know, you have to pay all along, uh, the idea being you're paying into the system for the, the eventuality uh, that you're going to need it. And frankly, as we all know, at some point in our lives, I don't care how strong and how lucky we are, as we get older, we're going to need health care. So that made uh, the individual mandate or requiring people to have health care uh, part of the mix. 
Having said all that, it be, as I alluded to, there are a lot of folks uh, in uh, this country, 25% of the folks in my home state of Oregon, that frankly can't afford to pay anything. They're, they're poor, very low-income folks. Uh, it'd be nice to say that's tough, you know, you got to earn health care, you got to earn your way into the system. But the bottom line is a lot of these very low-income folks overwhelm the system, and uh, their, their costs of paying for their health care Supreme Court requires we do this, uh, ends up costing all the rest of us a lot of money in our own insurance premiums. So we have to find, we had to find some way to subsidize their health care. Uh, and uh, there was a realization that while some people are going to probably require free health care because they can't afford, don't have the capabilities, uh, or in a tough situation, uh, be able to afford anything, there are some people that you know, could afford something depending on, you know, how much money they're making. And so we had a sliding scale of subsidies uh, that we put into the Affordable Care Act to, uh, to, to encourage people to get health care and shift the responsibility more and more for them to pay their own way as they moved up uh, uh, the income food, food chain, if you will. So that was the original envisioning of the process. Uh, uh, I think I won't get the Numbers exactly right, but some 20% of Americans get their health care through Medicare, another 16, 17% through Medicaid or the, the low income plan. As I said, roughly 60% of the folks were getting it through their employers. A big chunk, most of that was frankly uh, large companies that could more easily afford health care, and a lot of smaller companies like my small little veterinary clinic that were trying to get the job done. Then that, that other piece, as I said, that, that 10%, 7 to 10% that don't have health care in any of those venues and struggle to get it on the individual marketplace. So the thought was if we set this thing up and uh, required employers uh, to give insurance if they're a certain size, as you know, most small businesses uh, uh, can't afford a whole lot. So and most of the, I think 95 to 98% of the businesses in this country are small business. They were exempted. They didn't have to provide health care to their employees. But larger businesses, mid-sized businesses did. And uh, at first we thought that would work fine. Uh, it seemed to have uh, good legs originally. Uh, and in the individual marketplace, we had the sub subsidy set up based on the premise that it's going to be a, a wide variety of folks getting into the marketplace, some sick people, some fairly healthy people, and some young people. Uh, the young people not needing a lot of health care would, in their early years, subsidize, obviously, some of the older uh, folks that needed help. Uh, and uh, and that, would be, that was the premise. Those were the premises that we had. Uh, and it, for the most part, despite what you've heard, you know, it worked very well, worked fairly well. Uh, and it was fully paid for. Uh, we actually raised revenues and did some efficiencies in the healthcare delivery, uh, both in the Medicaid and Medicare programs, that actually paid for the Affordable Care Act. Uh, it actually reduced the deficit of this country in that 10-year window. But some of the assumptions we had made did not pan out. Uh, while uh, Medicare is still strong, everyone likes that, uh, the large employers have generally uh, not seen their premiums increase dramatically. Uh, but there were some huge increases in premiums and deductibles for individuals not employed and for uh, in the last several years for some of the small employers. You guys know that, I think, all too well. And uh, the reason for that was largely that uh, there were some uh, inaccurate assumptions, as it turned out, with regard to who was going to be accessing health care in that individual marketplace. 
and as a result, a lot of older, sicker people, more older, sicker people than we originally thought, signed up for health care, and a lot of the younger people that we thought were going to sign up did not. Uh, I respectfully argue, uh, although I'm, I'm a, uh, I think, a lone agent in this regard, that a lot of young people already were getting health care because they were allowed to stay in their current, on their parents' current plan until age 26. Uh, they worked, uh, frankly, had jobs that provided health care, uh, or were low-income enough starting out that they qualified for Medicaid, that, that low-income program that, uh, that we beefed up in the Affordable Care Act, too. So that caused an imbalance. All those older, sicker people, the premiums and deductibles start to be go up. The insurance companies couldn't uh, make their books balance by trying to cover these people. And as a result, uh, you got all this. We got you know, the Affordable Care Act's terrible. It's worse than ever. It's causing all these problems. I'd respectfully argue that's not the case. Uh, again, for low-income folks, it was a lifeline. We expanded the number of folks that could get in the program. When we had hearings on the Energy and Commerce Committee in the last Congress when uh, some of our Republican colleagues were trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act, they got an earful about how good Medicaid, or in my case in Oregon, the Oregon Health Plan was, and actually really doing a good job of providing quality health care at an affordable rate for these low-income folks. Uh, but we, you know, my, I'll be honest with you guys, at the time it was a very partisan issue. I think you know that all too well. Uh, folks were fighting uh, over the fact that, you know, it was a terrible program or it was the best program ever. Uh, the R's on one side, the D's on the other. And as I said, the real issue was this problem in the individual health care market. And I listened to uh, my Republican colleagues, uh, as we debated this in Congress early, early in the last Congress two years ago, and they kept talking about these premium and deductible increases, and it was apparent to me they were talking about this individual marketplace because you weren't seeing that so bad. Uh, well, you're seeing zero of that. Of course, there is no premium or, or deductibles in the Medicaid program. Medicare is outside of the program, so that wasn't affected. Large employers were pretty good. So it's in these smaller businesses and in this individual market. So I started to uh, nose about, was there an opportunity to craft a solution? Uh, as Matt alluded to, I'm part of this business-friendly New Democrat coalition and this Blue Doll coalition on the Democratic side of the aisle uh, that generally tries to find solutions. Uh, we don't get wrapped up in the politics or the ideology of our parties. Uh, we actually try and work with the business community, work with others to see is there a way to get over the hump. I mean, that's ideally why you elect us to Congress. So I've worked with uh, a bunch of my Democratic buddies that uh, have some business experience and tried to figure out, is there a, a path forward here? And we came out with a little program called Solutions Over Politics. And the goal here, uh, and I think it should still be our goal, is to stabilize and improve that individual marketplace so that it and the small business marketplace uh, can start to stabilize with regard to premium and deductible increases. I'm not going to kid you that there are not going to be any more you know, deductible or premium increases should we do this. Uh, I will tell you, though, that we can moderate those increases dramatically. Uh, some of the stuff that was done when they tried to repeal the Affordable Care Act and some of the repealing of the individual man, uh, mandate in that tax bill the Republicans passed last Congress actually has been documented to increase uh, the premiums we now face by upwards of 20 percent. Uh, the current administration decided not to uh, 
uh, to actually produce uh, the money for these uh, for a big chunk of the subsidies out there, the cost sharing subsidies for very low income people. That's also probably increased the cost of the marketplace 10 to 20 percent. So it seemed obvious to me and to others that well, let's fix that. You know, the original plan, as I said, was to have this sliding scale of subsidization based on someone's uh, ability to afford health care. So why don't we, you know, reinstitute that? So we we came up with a plan that talked about uh, you know, redoing those cost-sharing subsidies. Turns out, if you do that, uh, you actually reduce the bigger subsidies uh, that that were in the plan, uh, so that you know it was almost a uh, cost-neutral uh, improvement for the Affordable Care Act to go down that route. The other thought we had was with this higher-risk population being in the pool, if you will, uh, at a greater numbers than we anticipated, let's go back to the reinsurance program we had when we first started the ACA. Uh, there was a program that all the insurance companies shared uh, some risk uh, of a higher acuity population and play, paid into this marketplace so that everyone wasn't dinged if you had a sudden high-cost person coming into your health care plan. In Oregon, for some of our rural areas, uh, one or two people with super high needs, uh, a hep C issue or catastrophic injury or life-threatening disease could break the bank on some of these small coordinated care organizations. So the idea was to have this uh, reinsurance program that would spread that risk. My home state of Oregon actually did institute a program like that two years ago and they believe it's been able to moderate the premium increases in my state upwards of 20%. We also talked about giving the states a little more flexibility. Uh, allow them, right now, even under the Affordable Care Act, you're allowed to uh, uh, you know, work across state lines with insurance. Uh, the, we just haven't had the regulations promulgated by, frankly, the administration. That'd be both under the Obama administration and under the, under the Trump administration. So a little clearer guidance would go a long way. Uh, we're a little worried that the bidding opportunities in rural places were not as good as they were, and frankly, the urban centers, they were being left out. Certain insurance companies weren't even trying to bid, so there's probably a way to incentivize the insurance companies to bid in rural America, not just in the uh, uh, urban America where it'd be a little easier to make money. We talked about having people buy into Medicare uh, at, at cost. It wouldn't be subsidized by the government, but if you wanted to get into Medicare early, say you're 55 or so and uh, facing a lot of health issues, maybe it would be to your advantage to do that. We also talked about being thoughtful in terms of outreach, encouraging people to sign up, kind of the opposite with all due respect with what this current administration is doing. They've, they've truncated the sign-in period to a month where it was two or three months before, trying to encourage people to sign up for health care uh, mandate, no mandate. The goal is to get everyone to sign up and pay their fair share so that when they need it, uh, they will have it and there won't be an undue burden on a few people that are actually doing the right thing. Trying to make sure that the uh, uh, health savings accounts uh, are, were flexible, that the Affordable Care Act wasn't hamstringing people's ability that they're in that upper middle income area that they like to use that. That could be a real asset to them in terms of affording a healthcare and taking care of uh, unexpected uh, illnesses or, or accidents that occurred to them. So we had a quite a, a, a variety of different uh, things that we thought might work. Uh, we had ended up having over half the Democratic caucus supportive of that. 
uh, in the last Congress, despite all the turmoil, despite our own leadership telling us not to try and fix uh, uh, the, the Affordable Care Act. We had a lot of good support. We then reached out uh, to a group of Republicans. Uh, I'm part of this Problem Solvers Caucus, again, made up of you know problem-solving Democrats and Republicans, equal numbers, uh, and said, hey, can we get something done here? And, and they also signed up for uh, fixing this. And frankly, uh, just to give you an idea of the political climate, while uh, the issue of uh, the ACA was pretty toxic, the Affordable Care Act was pretty toxic early last Congress, after the, uh, you know, I think a year in, we have two-year terms, as you know, after a year in, it became easier to talk about it because we're still feeling the same effects you guys were in the high cost of health care. How do you deal with it? We were actually able to have this Problem Solvers Caucus get behind a proposal similar to the one I outlined uh, with the flexibility, uh, making sure the subsidies were done right, making sure we had a reinsurance program, making sure the health care plans are flexible, give states more the opportunity to do things the way that they thought was best and not dictated from D.C. Uh, and that, that plan passed out of this Problem Solvers Caucus with 50% of the Republicans supporting it, over 50% of the Democrats supporting it, and 70% of the members of this group saying, yes, this is something we can get behind. You do not necessarily that get that kind of uh, bipartisan buy-in in, uh, in the United States Congress these days. So I thought we were on to something, and we actually had the Senate uh, very interested. There were 12 senators across both party lines very interested in working something out. Uh, so I feel that this coming Congress, this is a great opportunity for us to to move something forward and stabilize the marketplace. That should be our goal. Uh, giving away free health care to everybody, that's uh, untenable. Some people have come up with different ideas along those lines. California tried it, uh, $400 billion uh, dissuaded them. Vermont tried it and I think bailed out of their program. So our focus right now should be, frankly, just trying to help people, help small businesses afford health care. And to me, it's stabilizing that marketplace somewhat along the lines of what we've been working on for the last two to four years, and as I said, seemingly getting pretty good buy-in from both Democrats and Republicans. Uh, so that's that's where we're, the current state of play is, and very interested in what you guys are feeling and seeing right now, and whether or not you think uh, proposals along these lines have legs. Thanks, guys. Great. Thank you very much, Congressman Schrader. We really appreciate your perspective on this and your willingness to take a few questions now. The first question we have on the line is from Hugh Campbell in Union, New Jersey. We're going to um, turn on your mic, and um, Mr. Campbell, if you can go ahead and ask your question. I'm a member of the No Labels, which inspired the Problem Solvers Caucus. Um, I was wondering if the, the elements of moving people off of company-paid plans into the exchanges as part of the, the current proposal? Uh, thanks, Hugh. Good question. Uh, it could be. It could be. We just had our first Problem Solvers Caucus meeting uh, of the new Congress today, and we were uh, pitching different ideas and uh, looking to hopefully resurrect uh, at least some version of what we got behind and I alluded to last year. Uh, I think that that might indeed be uh, part of a proposal. Uh, the employer mandate, uh, if you've got some low-income uh, employees, is 
kind of a burden for a lot of medium-sized businesses. And uh, if that was to go away, a lot of those folks would be able to actually get uh, more affordable health care potentially uh, on the exchange. So that's something we'll have to look at. Might be some criteria around that. We don't want people to undermine the the overall Affordable Care Act, but I think that's uh, that's something we had in uh, one of our proposals last Congress, and and I think there'll be a lot of interest in bringing something along those lines going forward. Great. Our next question is from an email. Uh, Nora Hamlin in Indianapolis, Indiana, says, "I own a small accounting firm. I provide insurance to my employees through the Small Business Exchange, but it's still very expensive." Are there proposals to help slow these costs down? That's a good question, Nora. And our, our feeling, and we'll need your guys' input on this, our feeling uh, is that uh, if we can help stabilize this marketplace, that there will be no need for these insurance companies to uh, offload that the costs they're, they're feeling in the individual marketplace onto other people's insurance plans, and that would be small businesses. So we don't have the negotiating power, nor uh, you know this, we just, as small businesses don't have the negotiating power, the, the bigger companies, you know, the Intels, the Microsofts, the Amazons do. Uh, so the insurance companies can jack our rates up uh, and, and make us pay for these increased costs they're incurring in other parts of their marketplace. So we're hopeful that as we get into this and stabilize things, the other piece that I think that I've heard from small businesses loud and clear, and I'd love to hear more from you and other businesses on the line here, is that if we create more options, you know, association plans, working across state lines, these are options that uh, could really help uh, us get some buying leverage. The one thing I would tell you, though, is, to, is that it must include the essential benefits that were in the Affordable Care Act. There's a feeling, a misguided feeling amongst some folks that, well, heck, I, I, I'm not a woman. I don't need maternity care. Or, heck, you know, I, uh, I'm not really that sick. I should be able to buy a low-cost plan and not have to worry about all this preventative service stuff. Well, folks, you're missing the whole point of the Affordable Care Act and health care in the 21st century. The biggest goal, the biggest goal, in my humble opinion, behind health care delivery in the 21st century is to get our kids and our grandkids into great health care programs early so frankly, they're not as sick as we are, and they won't require as much of these uh, uh, acute services. Uh, they won't have diabetes at the rate we do. Uh, you know, the, hopefully the cancer issue won't be as severe. We'll be identifying things early on for people, getting them treatment when they need it. And that costs money up front. And so I, I, there's been a, an attempt, by what I, I understand the intention behind it, but it's misguided. We have to have the essential health benefits in this in all these plans, and we have to have these preventative services so that health care costs over the long haul you know start to not increase nearly at the rate that our generation unfortunately is facing right now. Thank you. Um, so next we'll go to a question from the phone. Anna Weinstein of washington d c Anna, we're going to turn on your microphone now. Thanks. <clears throat> Thanks, um, Congressman Schrader, for your leadership. Really appreciate um, your your moderate approach. And I was just wondering, you, I think you answered my question after I, I thought of it, but I was wondering about, um, obviously, it's just incredibly important to have Republicans um, on board with ideas for stabilizing the ACA, uh, you know, the marketplace. And 
I guess you said today, you said after um, that you, you, it's not, you had support from Republicans within the Problem Solvers Caucus last Congress, but it's not, um, we just, it's still TBD whether that support will be there this Congress and whether you'll be able to move forward with your your um, legislation on a bipartisan basis. I mean, I, I mean, introduce on a bipartisan basis. Is that correct that it's sort of still up in the air? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Anna. One thing I've learned in Congress is that uh, what happened in the last Congress is not necessarily a predictor in the next Congress. But I will say this, that in my experience, even when I was back in the state legislature, uh, working there part-time, that some ideas that are, oh gosh, highly controversial and new, uh, take a while to be digested by the body politic. It takes a while for the rest of your colleagues who don't eat, sleep, and breathe the healthcare issues or the small business issues to get their head around the fact that, well, you know, this not perfect, you know, don't like uh, having to have health care, and I, I don't like this or that element, uh, I want more flexibility. But as they come to grips and they become familiar with this, all of a sudden it, they realize, well, heck, it, it's, it's, it's not that bad and actually could lead to a much more stable marketplace. And that's what we're going for here at the end of the day. Uh, my Republican colleagues uh, were all on board with that. Even in the repeal bill, they had the cost-sharing subsidy payments uh, as part of their uh, effort to stabilize the market. Uh, they had a stability fund very similar to the reinsurance fund I'm talking about uh, in their proposal. So we didn't really re recreate the wheel in the Problem Solvers Caucus uh, or with the, the New Dems. We actually tried to take in elements that we heard our Republican colleagues wanting to do. So it wasn't just a one-sided proposal. Uh, and, and, and I think there's that, that that's going to still be there. We're still going to have that opportunity. I would suggest, in my mind anyway, I will find out, TBD as you said, uh, that with the Democrats now in control of the House, uh, that that gives us a leg up on actually moving forward with a good bipartisan proposal. Any proposal that the Democrats come up with on, on the House side has to pass the Senate, which requires bipartisan support. So I don't see the proposal being... Uh, very, very different. It'll be different, but not very, very different from some of the basic elements that I've outlined right here. To the extent you're interested and can call into your elected representatives and senators and encourage them to get behind some sort of thoughtful bipartisan proposal, that would really help our effort. Congressman Trader, you were just getting to my next question, and, and so I think it's something worth repeating. Um, what can business leaders do to make their voices heard and their experiences known on health care? So what is most helpful in supporting your efforts for business leaders to do? Well, I think it would be hugely important for a business community to uh, uh, tell the story, tell the story of what's happening uh, in their own areas, uh, where they're feeling the pressures, uh, how, you know, how the uh, deductibles and how the uh, premium increases have gone up or maybe stabilized in their communities as a result of certain actions taken by their states or most recently by the federal government. Uh, I think it's also most important to tell uh, your, your representatives and your senators that you want a solution. Uh, you're not interested in repeal. Everyone should have access to health care. Everyone, in my opinion, should pay into the system if they can afford to uh, according to their ability and that it's our job to stabilize this marketplace, put a little pressure on Democrats and Republicans 
uh, to not go for their repeal ACA or Medicare for all approach. Have them get to the center here and talk about let's stabilize the marketplace first, and then we can talk about how we deal with things going forward. So the extent you guys can make phone calls uh, or even a trip to Washington, D.C., or, or back in the district, you know, meet the congressperson or the senator back in your home state and district and, and uh, request an appointment with several other businessmen and women to discuss the, the critical need for us to address this problem. Because it is, it is unfortunately going to be a determining factor for a lot of small and mid-sized businesses, whether or not they stay in business, whether or not they can afford uh, to do that health care. So uh, I, that's a great question. I would really appreciate all the help you guys can give. Thank you. And we, we really want to be able to give it from the business community. Um, the last question I'll take from the phone is from Peggy Richardson of Boulder, Colorado. Peggy, we're about to uh, turn on your microphone. Hi. <clears throat> I think one of my concerns about health care in this country, which needs to be addressed to reduce costs, is the pain, chronic pain patients crises. The DEA has scared the doctors from giving medicine to these chronic pain patients, and so as a result, they're having increased complications, um, mental depression, um, loss of functioning from other systems besides what they originally had the chronic pain from, and it's the DEA only made recommendations, or not the DEA, the CDC made recommendations, but the, D, um, the uh, drug enforcement company is pushing doctors to mandate these limits. And these patients are going to have progressive problems and be a real drain on the medical and uh, the healthcare system, and that's my concern. Uh, very, it's a very, very uh, legitimate concern, Peggy, and uh, it's actually front and center of a lot of what we're concerned about in Congress. One of the nice bipartisan bills we passed actually in the uh, budget for year before that is now law deals with uh, chronic pain and long-term care for folks and how we address that. Hopefully out of uh, that legislation we'll be developing better plans, better protocols, uh, and encouraging the medical community uh, to step up. Uh, we actually had a lot of work done uh, in this last Congress on the opioid problem. Uh, I think out of my committee, we passed on 56 bills dealing with uh, uh, addiction, uh, chronic problems that people get into uh, that hopefully, on, uh, hopefully we can translate into action and Try not to be too prescriptive, let different states, different communities deal with it in their own way. Uh, the chronic pain issue itself is being looked at, as you well know, uh, uh, the surgery versus medication. Uh, what type of medication do you actually need for chronic pain is being evaluated by uh, different medical groups, the FDA. Uh, so, and, and to your point, I mean, that's a lot of folks are unfortunately in that situation, what is the best way to take care of that? In my home state of Oregon, cannabinoids are, are, are something that folks are even looking at as a way to do a non-addictive chronic pain treatment program. So there's a lot of uh, interest, Peggy, and I, I hope that some of that stuff now will, will crystallize in this next Congress and, and be part of whatever proposal we're going for. Certainly the whole behavioral element is a critical part of healthcare delivery uh, I know personally, and I, I know from stories from a lot of friends, that, that 
that how you feel uh, physically uh, in many cases depends on how you feel mentally. Uh, and I, I think that's now become recognized as a critical element, not, a, not something you pay extra for, but should be a base component of any healthcare insurance program that's out there. Uh, my home state of Oregon, we mandated, mandated that a number of years ago, uh, and I think uh, the insurance companies are uh, they're seeing the handwriting on the wall and starting to hopefully offer that sort of, of help. And our goal here will be to make sure it's actually serious help uh, not limited to X number of visits, but until you actually uh, are in a functional state or have a good program that you're able to manage your pain and your, your mental situation. So uh, uh, stay tuned. That's a good one for us to put front and center as we get into this next Congress. So thank you for that question, Peggy. And Congressman Schrader, thank you very much for your time here today. We really appreciate your thoughtful take on healthcare policy. Uh, your insights into the uh, legislative outlook and, and what it may take to get a, a sensible, centrist uh, solution done, and also what business leaders can do to support uh, thoughtful leaders such as yourself on health care. So we really appreciate your time. Um, if you have any last thoughts you want to share, um, do you have any last thoughts you'd like to share? Uh, just thank you very much, Matt, and I thank everybody uh, uh, out there uh, for being on the call. Uh, thank you for creating some jobs uh, uh, in this marketplace, and uh, please be part of uh, the solution in helping us craft a long-term uh, proposal that will stand the test of time, that will be bipartisan and hopefully drive down or at least moderate health care cost increases. Uh, into the future. It's so important for individuals. It's so important for the health of our our business community. Uh, and believe it or not, it's not as bad as D.D. Uh, would have you believe. In Washington, D.C., most members are really good, solid members working hard, and uh, we actually do get along. And I, I think this is an area, believe it or not, that uh, is right for us to come up with a solution here in the 116th Congress. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you all for participating.